Nice to have you here on this uh, long weekend. Wow, can you believe that? Nobody going to the beach right now? Okay. All right. Yeah, we... <laughs> yeah, that's why you're here, because you couldn't get to the beach, right? <laughs> okay, okay. It's really bad when you're a pastor and you're praying for rain on Sunday morning, you know? I know. On a long weekend. Oh, yes. <laughs> Happy. Okay. Um, that was real carnal of me, wasn't that? Just a minute, yeah. Okay, okay. Well, we're in a, into a series, and, and I actually am glad you're here, because this is a really important topic today. I can't tell you, I think this is the most, dis, not disregarded, but I think this particular topic this morning doesn't get the traction it deserves. I really, I really don't. So, you know, it, saying that to, to begin, that's how important it is. And, and we're in a series called Walk This Way. And, and we all know, for those of you that are believer here, believers here this morning, you know that Jesus said, you know, follow me and, and walk in this manner. And, and what it means for many of us, you know, for any of us that, that have come to faith after a period of time of, of like walking with the culture, we know that that was a dramatic change. We know that something happened. And we know that it became a different type of walk. And we've, we've, been, we've been using a kind of illustration. I'm going to get my friend out. For those of you who know who we're talking about, I'm going to get... Yeah, okay. Okay. All right, here, here he is. This is our friend Christian, you know, our, our good-looking dude that's kind of helped us out in the last number of weeks. And we're into week five. And, and Christian here, as you can see, has, has been kind of like our illustration of the, of the labels or the big words or the big themes that get attached to us when we become believers. You know, we've talked about, you know, the, the word Christian itself and what does it mean and, and the things that, that come up when we talk about being a Christian. We, last week we talked during Mother's Day that you don't have to be perfect, okay? You know, uh, there's this thing called grace in our lives, Right, and, and we talked about this, and one of the topics we did talk about was faith. Now, if you know, if you know anything about, about you know, my heart for people, is I, I truly believe faith is the most important thing in your life. Okay? Like if you were to ask God, God, what is the most important thing for these human beings that you've created? What he would say is faith. Faith is so important. In fact, faith is so important that God will, will do so, will, is more concerned for your faith than he is for the circumstances that you find yourself in. And often your circumstances that you find yourself in are something that God wants to shape your faith. It's something that God wants to mold your faith or to test your faith. That, you know, and in fact, faith is so important to God, he didn't leave it up to us to guess what it is that pleases God or how to be in a relationship with God. You see, we could just say, all you have to do is be good. But how do you know what the measurement is? How do you know what, where the line is? How do you know when you've gotten good enough for God? You see, faith is so important to God that he didn't leave that up as a question mark. He sent his son to come into the world, to live a perfect sinless life, to die, to shed his blood on our behalf, and in three days be resurrected and bring victory over the thing that we are afraid of the most, and that's death. That's how, that's how important faith is to God. Now, the topic we're, we're talking about today is, is not as equally as important, but it's a component of faith that sometimes doesn't get the traction it deserves. 
And for many of us, I would, I would argue that for, maybe not for many of us, but for some of us, we heard this and it kind of drew us towards faith. And we said, you know what? That's, that's really neat. That's really important. And I think, and then for others of us, we've been a believer a long time. And this thing has happened in our lives where we've kind of lost this piece of it in faith. And you know, you get some people who've been believers a long time, but they don't have any of that joy anymore. They don't have that vibrancy they don't have that excitement about being a believer anymore, and it's kind of gotten old, and it's kind of gotten weary for them. And I think, I think this is the element in their faith that they've kind of missed or they've kind of lost, and it's, and it's kind of drifted away. And it's interesting because, um, as I've said, it's a very important component of faith, and sometimes I think we don't give it the credit it deserves because it's very, very important. And here's the word, here's, here's the label I want to put up today. And that label is hope. Okay? That label is hope. Now, many of us use this word all the time, right? You know, we, we use this word, you know, I, I, I hope um, that their marriage lasts. Or I hope... Good example, right? Um, you know, I hope I get the job, right? I hope, I hope people like my book. I hope, you know, you know, we use it all the time. I call, you know, I call that the small H version of hope. I call it the small H version. I call it using it like a lottery, okay? I hope I win the lottery, right? Um, it's, 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 a lo- it's the lottery version of the word hope. It's a small version of, of the word hope. You know, we're, we're, we're kind of wishful thinking. We're kind of wishful expectation. We're not guaranteed that what we hope for is really going to materialize. We just kind of say it, and it's, you know, we're hedging our bets, basically, is what we're doing. And we have, there's nothing credible behind it. You know, we, it's just a good guess, but it's a version of the word that we use kind of like a lottery, and we hope for certain things in life. Now, if you've been a believer for any amount of time, something happens when you start looking at this word, especially biblically, because the Bible doesn't use it as a lottery word. It, it, in fact, it gives a, a capital H to this particular word. Very important Version, you know, just just as an just as an example, let me give you Hebrews ten twenty three. Hebrews ten twenty three says this: Without wavering, let us hold tightly to the hope we say we have. Now, what's really interesting, it's kind of out of the Hebrew, and one of the semantic ranges for the word hope in the in the Hebrew is is the word for rope. Okay, so let us hold tightly to the rope of hope that we say, okay, it's kind of a neat word picture, okay? All right? I thought it was neat, okay? All right, don't, all right? Yeah, but, but, but look, how the, look how the passage ends. The passage ends like, for the hope we say we have, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. See, the, 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 the biblical picture of hope, the, the big H picture of hope, is this idea that is rooted in God. 
It's rooted in the promises of God. It's rooted in the word of God. And when you become a believer, this does not become a lottery word for you. It becomes a word that is rooted in the character and the nature and the promise of God. So hope takes on a dramatically different meaning when we look at it in the Bible. And I want to look at a passage this morning um, that actually the, the, the Apostle Peter wrote. And, uh, you know, I know I tell you this all the time, but it is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Okay, I say this all the time. But if, you, if there's a top ten, this passage for me is near the, near the top. Okay, because it's a beautiful passage. And I think it's so neat that it's the Apostle Peter that wrote it. Because, you know, he, he had so many ups and downs as an apostle. Right? And he had so many difficult moments. And we hold things against him in many ways because of, of, of his denial of Christ and everything. But it's just beautiful the way that Jesus called him back into ministry at the end of the Gospel of John. And from there, we see a totally changed man. We see in, in the Apostle Peter this, this you know, conviction to the person of Christ and what it means for everyone who follows after Jesus and he models it beautifully. And I love this passage, and, I'm, and we're going to walk you through this passage this morning. Because, 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 if you're a believer here this morning, you need to embrace this big H hope. Not the lottery hope, but the hope that is rooted in the person and the character and the promises of God. Okay? Can we do that? All right? Let's start with the passage. Let's, let's go this way. Now... Who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? Okay, can we just stop right there? P- Peter, do you remember Jesus? <laughs> I kind of think this is a little tongue-in-cheek if you want to know the truth of the matter. Who's, who's going to harm you if you want to do good? Uh, well, okay. A little bit of history, right? But even, and, and this is why I think it's a bit tongue-in-cheek, because he says, because even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So here's, here's the deal. You need to recognize that the context of this passage is Peter writing to people who are suffering, who are in great difficulty. And the context that he, of, of suffering is what's going to build what he's talking about right here. Okay? Context of suffering. God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead... Okay? Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. So here we are, the realities of life. And notice the role of hope that is built into this passage. Okay? Even if you suffer for doing good, even if you're in the midst of the difficulty, and people see how you're living, and they ask you about what it is, they want to hear this thing about the hope that you have in your life. You see, hope hope is the visible traction that we have of the belief we say we hold to. And Peter says when it becomes evident and people see it, that there's something that's going to draw them to ask about it. Amen. Amen. Now, before I, before I go any, any further, you know, P- 
Peter actually alludes to four hope killers in this passage, okay? Here are four hope killers, the big four. Worry, fear, doubt, and unbelief, okay? Notice that he says, uh, don't worry or be afraid of their threats, okay? Worry and fear. And then when he says, instead you must worship Christ as Lord of your life, that deals to the doubt and the unbelief, Okay, that's what's being alluded here in this passage, right? We know worry is nothing like, worry is nothing more than a rocking chair, okay? A lot of movement, but you don't get anywhere. Okay, that's what worry is. All right, Um, doubt, you know, how can you have any hope if you don't have any certainty about anything, right? And unbelief just not going to get you anywhere because hope has got to be beyond you. You're not going to be able to manage anything. Now, I did something. Fun. Can we have a bit of fun for just a minute? Let's have a bit of fun for a minute. I went onto this website. I, 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 um, uh, phobia list. Phobialist.com. Don't look it up. Stay on your Bible. Okay? You're going to spoil my fun. All right? I, went, I, I, I thought, fear's a biggie. Right? We all have fear. Right? So I went to phobialist.com. It's got over 500 um, stated phobias that people have. And supposedly they come out of medical journals and all this kind of stuff. So anyway, um, I thought this was really funny. All right, palatophobia. Do you know what that is? Palatophobia. Fear of bald people. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not. <laughs> I know. I tried to find fear of Greeks, and it just didn't exist. Okay? Um, what was that? There will be this afternoon. There will be this afternoon. I love this. Fear of chins. Allophobia. You know what allophobia is? Fear of flutes. Okay? But tenerophobia is the fear of being tickled by feathers. You got, you got, uh, oh, I love this. Thalassophobia. None of you hopefully have thalassophobia. It's the fear of being seated. Okay? Um, Odontophobia is the fear of teeth. Uh, Graphophobia is the fear of writing in public. Okay? Okay? And phobophobia is the fear of being afraid. Okay? Did you know? Did you know? That there's a fear of heaven. There's actually one that's a fear of heaven, which is really bizarre to me. Okay? There's a fear of beautiful women. Okay? That's kind of the Raj syndrome or whatever from Big Bang. And my favorite one of all is the fear of talking animals. 
when would you ever use that fear? Like, when would that fear ever materialize? You know what I mean? Now, a parrot? Yeah, well, okay. All right, a parrot. Yeah, okay. All right? Yeah. So there's over 500 lists of phobias, right? So you talk about fear, okay? Isn't it any wonder that the Bible has, you know, probably the, the one command or whatever in the Bible is do not fear, okay? It's such a common thing. But fear is a hope killer, isn't it? Because it kind of limits our potential, what is what is beautiful about this passage is, is is that Peter, in a very short sentence, kind of gives the antidote for any kind of a hope killer, and that's instead he says, "You must worship Christ as Lord of your life." You know, I, I, imagine imagine that one sentence being the umbrella of which, you know. Anyone that looks at your life is, is able to say that they worship Christ as Lord of their life. Okay? That they, their life is sanctified. They revere Christ. They, they live in obedience to. That's, you know, I love the two words, the worship and Lord of your life. That, 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 that gives you the mental assent of acknowledging Christ as the supreme authority over every decision, every action, every, everything that you do in your life. And you're motivated to worship and surrender in obedience. And that's how you live your life. You know, both elements are, are carried in that statement. And that's what Peter says is the antidote to any hope killers that you have in your life. Because to worship Christ as Lord of your life is the ultimate expression of hope. Not just for this life, but for all eternity. And sometimes we get caught up in the little hope. And we turn it into a lottery. And a wishful expectation. But Peter says, you know what? When you worship Christ as Lord of your life. You have a hope. That nothing else in this world can match. And nothing else and take away. Now, I, I would have expected that the passage would have just ended right there. Okay? Because that's, that's powerful stuff. You, you embrace that for your life. Hope is ever-present, regardless of whatever happens, the situations, circumstances in your life. That is it. But you know what? Paul, Peter continues. And he continues because... He does something that the Bible doesn't often do. A lot of times the Bible will just tell you what, you know, what's important and all, but doesn't necessarily tell you how to do it. You see, Peter thinks hope is so important. Those moments when people want to ask, what is it that makes you live like this and live the way you do? Especially when I look at the circumstances and the situations that's happening around our culture, how can you possibly have any hope? And Peter says, this is, you know, this is how you need to answer Peter is so, so concerned about us being cavalier when people ask us about our hope. He actually gives us instructions about how to do it. 
Which isn't often what the Bible does. The Bible often leaves the how up to us. It just says, you need to be obedient. You need to be right. This is, you know, you need to submit to the Lord Jesus and, and worship him as Lord of your life. But here is this thing about hope. And Peter says, I'm going to you know, tell you how you should manage those moments when people ask. And, and here's the next part of the passage. Okay? Um, I love this. But do this when they ask about the hope in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then, if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Wow. Remember, remember, it is better to suffer for doing good if that is what God wants than to suffer for doing wrong. How many of you have ever said, you know, I keep doing right, I keep doing right, I do, what good has it gotten me? It just continues, and you, and you want to jettison the good that you're doing, you're saying, what's the use? Have you ever been there? Have you ever said that? We've all been there. Why, why don't I just, you know, enjoy life as it is? Where is it getting me being good? Okay. Have you ever heard of my choice matters? Your choice matters. The Lord is paying attention. Whenever you do good in the name of the Lord, that choice matters. When you decide to do, even though it's not going to benefit you immediately and you don't see, you know, what the use of it is and you don't, it's going to benefit you. Personally, because the Lord sees it. Others see it. And your future walk with the Lord benefits from it. So your choice matters. Okay? Your choice matters. Now, here I've I've entitled this section, right? How to influence and not irritate or even infuriate. Okay? Because what Peter wants you to do is to make sure that you influence, pro, you know, properly this thing we, we call hope. Because there's a lot of philosophies, there's a lot of ideologies that tell you that they, you can hope on, on that. But nothing gives you the hope that Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ alone, gives you. Everything else has a dead end. Everything has an expiry date. Everything else is nothing more than a lottery. Only Jesus gives you the big H hope that this passage is talking about. Okay? So notice, notice what, what Peter does here. He says the style in which you should influence people, right, is gentle. Okay? Have you got that coming up, Aiding Facts? Right? Style in a gentle way. Now, it's interesting. In the Greek, this word is only used four times. Twice for Jesus... And twice for believers who follow Jesus. This gentle, gentle way used only, right? Now, here's, here's the thing. Here's the statement that I want to make about this. Never confuse arguing with answering. Never confuse arguing with answering. 
This is what Peter is really concerned about. You want to get in an argument, you're going to diffuse the potential of people hearing the hope that you say you have because you're a follower of Jesus Christ. So never confuse arguing with answering. All right? Second Timothy says, The Lord's servants must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone. They must be able to teach effectively and be patient with difficult people. I hate that line. No offense, God, but, you know, just... Right? They should... Okay, it's a long weekend. I've lost it, okay? Um, they should gently teach those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will believe the truth. Powerful, right? Powerful. And, you know, you ever, you ever, you ever, you ever heard the, the passages out of Ephesians about speak the truth in love? Okay? Okay? You can bomb them with truth, but you better hug them after Okay? They better know what your motivation behind it is. All right, here's number two. Attitude. Your attitude in a respectful, in a respectful way. Okay? Um, by the way, this is the, this, this is the Greek word fear, by the way, right here. Respectful. You better enter into that in fear and trembling, you know, because this is um, a very um, wow, volatile situation that you're entering into. Okay? You enter it with caution and with fear and care, okay? In a respectful, in a respectful way. This is the this is the positive kind of um, usage of the of the term fear. It's a positive usage of the word, right? And 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 we all know this. We all know this instinctively. We know this that if we don't show respect, no one's listening. No one's listening. If we don't show some kind of respect, no one's listening. Okay? All right? Um, okay, let's keep going. Number three, credibil- credibility. Notice, keep your conscience clear. This whole idea about credibility. Now, when it says keep your conscience clear, I, I, I firmly believe that based on the passage, based on... You know, it's talking about being authentic, being real, being honest, having integrity, okay? That you're not fabricating some, some you know, grand, you know, illusion of, of hope that isn't really the gospel, that isn't the truth of the gospel, that there's an authentic, you know, component to, you know, I, you know, I, I, I have this big H hope because it's not about me. I know I'm a sinner before God, and I know Jesus did something for me that I could never have done for myself. And I place my hope in Jesus Christ, and that's what makes me live with the hope that I have. Because, you know what, if I tried to manage this on my own, I would fail miserably. And I am thankful by the grace of God that I am a child of God, and I'm thankful that I can live with a hope that I don't have to, you know, kind of throw a lottery at and and say, maybe. And that's the hope that people want to hear. We've become so accustomed to being disguised before other people that over time we end up becoming disguised to ourselves. Do you know that? 
We end up putting a facade in front of people for so long to show other people something that we're trying to be that we're actually not, that if we hold that illusion for a period of time and long enough, we end up believing that illusion about ourselves. And I think that's what Peter's talking about here. That we have a hope beyond ourselves. All right? So, what Peter's talking about here is that words whisper, but actions shout. Right? Words whisper, but actions shout. And people see. Okay? I was reminded of this by having a grandchild. Let me tell you. Why is it they pick up the worst habit you have? <laughs> and it's not just the one habit either. <laughs> right? But we, you know, okay? Philippians 2.15. So that no one can speak a word of blame against you. You are to live clean, innocent lives as children of God in a dark world full of crooked and perverse people. Let your lives shine brightly before them. Love that. Love that. You know? And isn't it wonderful, isn't it wonderful that Peter's throwing all of this into the context of people who are suffering in the world? Suffering in the world. This is what I want to tell you about hope. Okay? That hope's, you know, hope's greatest benefit. This is, this is something I think is very, very important for you to embrace. Hope's greatest benefit is demonstrated most in times when it has the least visible value. Now, can I explain that? No. I'm out of time. Okay? Here's, here's an illustration of it. Let's, let's take a biblical passage. Okay? Out of Hebrews. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never fail you, and I will never abandon you. I'll never forsake you. Okay? What would make you even say that? See, the Bible's answering a moment in your life when you're feeling like God has forsaken you. And reminding you that God promised to always be there and to not forsake you. See, and when we get in those moments where our faith is struggling and we move into a little H lottery moment, passages like this remind us that God has a promise that you can place hope in, in the moments when you feel that God has forsaken you. That's what the next passage says. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. That's how the passage continues. So I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? See how it works? Here's another one. How many of you ever said, I can't do this anymore? It is too difficult. It is too hard. You know, why? Why? You know, how many of you have said that? You know, here's what Jesus said. Jesus says, come to me, 
All of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. I can't do this anymore. And at the very moment you need rest, and you're thinking you can't do this anymore, is the very moment that Jesus says, give it to me. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart. And you, you, you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is like, you see, that's how it works. And in those moments when it's become a lottery for us, the Bible gives us the big H hope that is rooted in the character and the person and the nature and the promises of God. And no matter what we're going through, no matter what the difficulty is, that we have hope in those moments when it visibly doesn't look like it's going to materialize, but we can say, God said. God said. And because of that, I can hope because I know God in his time and by his word is going to make it okay. Now, let me just, let me just close with um, one last little illustration. Darlene and I were, were out. We don't often get out and ran into somebody that uh, we knew and we hadn't seen her for a while. And, um, you know, she um, asked, what, hey, what, are you, what have you been doing? She goes, well, I'm a grief counselor now. I'm a bereavement counselor. And I thought, wow, is that ever, is that ever cool? You know, and uh, I, I said, well, how's it going? She goes, I love it. I said, you love being a bereavement counselor? Wow. Um, you know, and, and, and she kind of goes, well, you get it, right? And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. You know, um, absolutely. So, uh, you know, I, I said to her, so, you know, what, what do you say to people in, in those, you know, what, what do you say? Like, what, what do you believe about you know, afterlife, especially. And she says, well, if the person believes in reincarnation, we just encourage them to, you know, believe in that. And I went, really? Or if they believe in heaven, um, you know, encourage them that way. And I said, well, what if they don't believe in anything? And she said, I don't know. And I said, what kind of hope is that? What kind of hope is that? Um, I guarantee you I'm not going to need her counseling when, when, when and if the time comes, right? Okay? That's very, very, very small age hope, isn't it? Isn't it? You know, if you're a believer here this morning... This is a, an important word in your life, no matter what it is that you're going through. This is an extremely important word in your life. So important, in fact, that God sent his son Jesus to die for you, to shed his blood, to give you a hope beyond your sin and to be forgiven once and for all. And to not turn life into a lottery, 
but turn life into an assurance of hope based on the promises of God. Is that a great way to live? I didn't think so, eh? Isn't that a great way to live? Yeah. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Thank you for the truth of your word and the power that we can live our lives with knowing that there's a hope. Even in those moments where we feel totally out of control, beyond our own capacities and capabilities. But thank you that, Lord, you've got this. That you have a plan, you have a purpose. We may not always understand it, but I thank you that we can place our hope in you. And the great promise that we have rests not only in this present but in the future promises of God for all of God's people, assured by the sacrifice and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Lord, there's nothing that can match that hope anywhere in this world. And like the Apostle Peter, in moments of suffering, when he's able to tell people that they have a hope greater than the suffering they're bearing at that moment and to trust the Lord with all their heart, with all their mind, with all their soul. In Jesus' name, amen.